The Bible teaches us that there is a blessing that comes with temptation that may sound funny, but the blessing is this. When you endure through temptation, when you take the way of escape, you are blessed. Remember, it's not a sin to be tempted. It's what you do with the temptation that really matters. And what you do with it is to take the way of escape and to ask God for help, and you will be blessed and you will become stronger. James will explore more about how to deal with temptation, not to make excuses, but to do things God's way. We'll look at that today on Walk in Truth. Welcome to Walk in Truth with Michael Lance. Walk in Truth is a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship. It's our goal to build up believers and to reach out with God's truth to all people. And now, here's Pastor Michael. The Bible says in the midst of one's pursuits, people just die. A lot of people don't plan, you know, a car accident or a heart attack. Sometimes just in the midst of doing stuff, people die. A deathbed experience is not a guarantee. And James paints this picture of the Scirocco. We would say the Santa Anas. How many of you don't like the Santa Ana winds? Man, they're, they're a bummer because it gets hot and then the wind blows. And I've got some, uh, we've, we've got some flowers in our home that um, they bloom when the sun's out and then they bow when the sun's not doing well. And I have had the practice because my beautiful wife deserves flowers. And I, I'm going to say it, her nickname for me is Roses. <laughs> because she's like a beautiful rose. So I regularly get her roses. Well, those roses, inevitably, we put them in a vase and they start drooping. Right? And then I have to replenish the roses. Can I give you guys, gentlemen, tune in for a second. Can I give you a word of wisdom? Buy your wife flowers. Even if she is super practical and she knows they're only going to last a week and a half or two, Still buy them. She does like it. This is just a free piece of advice. It wasn't even in my notes. Just for you guys, all right? Life is this way. You know, we, we hear of this blight of cancer. Cancer, cancer, cancer. And we're, we're like, what is going on with cancer? I, I don't know. But in the midst of one's pursuits, and somebody could have a, a plan, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work this career, I'm going to do this, I'll retire in, in this area. Hey, look, life doesn't guarantee you that. If you get that, thank God. But you don't have that guarantee. And so James says, look, the sun rises and the Scirocco, the Santa Ana's come and He's quoting from Isaiah 40, verses 6 through 8. A voice calls out. If you want to write this down, Isaiah 40, 6 through 8. A voice calls out. Then he answered, what shall I call out? All flesh is grass. All its loveliness is like the flower of the field. The grass withers. The flower fades. When the breath of the Lord blows upon it, surely the people are grass. The grass withers. The flower fades. But the word of the Lord, what does it do? It stands forever. This life is temporary. And James is trying to encourage a group of downcast believers to hang in there because the eternal kingdom is what's really going to last. And so he's trying to give them what we might consider 
what we would call biblical wisdom. Jesus told a story about being beware of every form of greed. And then he told about a landowner who stuff was very productive. And he said to himself, I'm going to build bigger things and I'll do this and that. And then the word comes back from God that tonight your soul will be required of you. I, I did two memorial services in the last couple of days. One thing I didn't anticipate going into the ministry is how much I would have to deal with the death issue, to walk families through it, to address crowds at memorial services, a mixed multitude. I often don't know who's a believer and who's not. Sometimes when I'm quoting scripture, I can tell the believers because they smile and they're quoting the scripture with me. Uh, I did a memorial service a few days back and every verse I quoted, I saw a lady who locked eyes with me and she was quoting the verses with me. I am the way, the truth. And her smile was getting bigger and I was going, that's a sister in Christ. Thank you, Lord. There's always believers out there. But then there's others out there that are doing what we call the bulletin shuffle. When's this thing going to be over? When's he going to be quiet? It's my unique opportunity to preach to unbelievers. And you know what I say to unbelievers? And it always shocks them. I say, you know, the statistics on death are quite impressive. <laughs> and then they start to laugh because they get where I'm going. One out of every one of you is going to die. <gasps> What's true, the statistics are impressive. I mean... Right? Unless you're here when the Lord returns, you're going to face your own mortality. And the only question that's going to matter on that day is, do you know the Lord? Because one day the, the flower will droop as strong as we can be in life. We're not made to last because of the curse. John Wesley said, I'm a creature of, of a day passing through life as an arrow through the air. I'm a spirit coming from God and returning to God, just hovering over the great gulf. A few months hence, and I am no more seen. I drop into an unchangeable eternity. I want to know one thing, says Wesley. I want to know the way to heaven. How many people play Russian roulette with their soul? Why would you do that? The most valuable thing you have is your soul. Why would you, even if you gain the whole world, why would you forfeit your soul? That's just silly. Casting Crowns put it this way in a modern song. I'm a flower quickly fading here today, gone tomorrow. And so James says, blessed is a man. Blessed is a person who perseveres under trial. Take a look at the NIV if you have it. It says, blessed is the man who endures temptation. Same Greek word as trial. For when he has been approved or when he's been tested and passes the test, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. What is the crown of life? Simply this. It is eternal life. It is, it is the gift of God. The crown is a Stephanos, and it, it has the idea of an athlete's wreath of flowers that they would get for winning the race. But ultimately, the crown of life is still simply eternal life that the Lord will give to anybody who, what? Loves him. If you love God, you get the crown. But here, the believer is encouraged to hang in there through the difficulty, knowing that a reward of eternal life is granted by grace, but is also coming to those who hang in there with hope. In Revelation 2, 
Let's turn over there for a second. Revelation 2, just a few pages to your right. Look at verse 9. Revelation 2, verse 9 says, To the church at Smyrna, a persecuted church, I know your tribulation, 2.9 of Revelation, your poverty, but you are rich. The blasphemy of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Verse 10, do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to cast some of you into prison that you may be what? Tested. And you will have tribulation 10 days. Be faithful into, until death. And I will give you what? I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes, and I believe every believer will overcome, shall not be hurt by the second death. And the second death is spiritual death. It's the lake of fire. It's hell. And the believer will not be hurt by the second death. And so we're encouraged to hang in there. Go back to the book of James. And so we go through this life and we have tests. And we would all like to think that in the tests we would obey the book of James and say, hey, even though things are tough, I'm counting it all joy. Have you ever said that to somebody? Man, somebody might say to you, what, what's the Lord allowing in your life? What's going on? I don't know, but I'm, I've considered it. I've put it to the category of an asset and not a deficit. I've recalculated my trials. I'm now considering them all joy. Anybody? No? You're like, Just not that spiritual, Pastor Michael. <laughs> hey, I'm with you. This is a hard category. In fact, trials while they bring a unique opportunity for growth, also bring a unique opportunity for pessimism, a unique opportunity to retreat. In fact, they bring a unique opportunity to fall into sin. Here's why. Because when I'm faced with a trial and I don't get it and I don't understand it and the fire is coming, many people in the church go to something that can give them a temporal respite, i.e. a temptation that will make me feel better. It could be pornography. It could be food. It could be binge-watching television. It could be frozen. No, frozen yogurt does not. No, frozen yogurt, <laughs> strike that from the record, is not sinful. Get your frozen yogurt. It's good. It's, it's anyway. But we can have all of these things, right, that we go to. Instead of going to God, we go to that comfort thing. And in fact, some people, and this is what the book of James teaches, who are going through a trial say something like this. I am being tempted by God. God's doing this to me. What did I do to deserve this? Sometimes people who are in the church, let's face it, they shake their fist at God or maybe internally they say, Lord, I'm angry because I believe you're doing this to me. And James says, let no one say, and James may have heard that the believers were saying this. Maybe he heard that this was going on, that people were saying this in some of their meetings. Let no one say when he's tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil. And he himself does not tempt anyone. Don't say that, James says. 
Some of you know that there are stories in the Bible where... Hey, listening family, if you're new to Walk in Truth, my name is Michael Lance. I'm the senior pastor of Living Truth Christian Fellowship in the city of Corona in Southern California. Hey, recently I've written a book called Suit Up, Putting on the Full Armor of God. It shows you how to put on what God has provided so that you can stand strong in the spiritual battle and stand strong against temptation with the resources that God provides. This book is available at the store at walkintruth.com. Go to walkintruth.com, click on the store, click on the book. I'll get you a signed copy and your donation will help support Walk in Truth and help us reach out to more people. Again, the book is Suit Up, Putting on the Full Armor of God, available at walkintruth.com. That's walkintruth.com. We can have all of these things, right, that we go to. Instead of going to God, we go to that comfort thing. And in fact, some people, and this is what the book of James teaches, who are going through a trial, say something like this. I am being tempted by God. God's doing this to me. What did I do to deserve this? Sometimes people who are in the church, let's face it, they shake their fist at God or maybe internally they say, Lord, I'm angry because I believe you're doing this to me. And James says, let no one say, and James may have heard that the believers were saying this. Maybe he heard that this was going on, that people were saying this in some of their meetings. Let no one say when he's tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil. And he himself does not tempt anyone. Don't say that, James says. Some of you know that there are stories in the Bible where God seems to at least minimally allow temptation. The book of Job is a good example. Satan comes to God and God brings up Job and it ends up that the book of Job is about God allowing Satan to get at Job. In Luke 2.31, Jesus comes to Peter and says, Satan's been demanding permission to sift you as wheat. In 2 Samuel 24, a bit of a problematic passage because 1 Chronicles 21 says Satan did it, inspired David to count the people, and it caused a big problem. And in 2 Samuel 24, it says God did it. Is it God or Satan? Well, ultimately, no temptation will come your way unless God allows it, right? I would imagine that for some people in the world, Satan is constantly demanding permission to destroy them. And the book of Job reveals that God had a hedge about Job. So in God's sovereignty of running the universe... He often uses Satan as a tool. He might allow Satan to do something, but God does not tempt anybody. The tempter does that. Satan does that. But God is ultimately still on the throne, which should make us breathe a little bit easier. But still, when Satan comes with a temptation, here's the deal. The deal is your response. The ball, if I use a tennis analogy, gets hit to us in temptation, and then we decide what we're going to do with it. We can hit it back, or we can let it pass by us, or we can say, I can't get to that one. 
that's pretty much where I'm at now with bad knees, right? And so we are in a position where we now have to kind of wrestle with some theological realities. What is our worldview in the midst of temptation? Do we shake our fist at God? Do we say, it's your fault? What are you doing to me? You did this to me. We are pretty good at playing the blame game. Jesus was impelled by the Spirit to be tempted by the devil, but not to fail the test to what? To succeed and prove that he's the Son of God. But the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, compelled Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan. To be what? To be victorious over the temptation. God doesn't want you to fail. But sometimes he allows Satan maybe a little extra wiggle room in your life so that you might take a stand against the wiles of the devil. This is my understanding of how the Scripture uh, teaches this. And so in these times, they bring up a test from God, and often a test from God becomes a temptation by Satan. And sometimes in our weakness, and I'll confess to you, there's been many times when I have not handled temptation well, We've gone the other way. Instead of counting it all joy and rooting ourselves in God and asking him for wisdom and staying the course, and 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, taking the way of escape, we blame. Book of Genesis. Adam, where are you? Did you eat of the tree I told you not to eat? I was afraid I heard your voice. I'm hiding here. I was ashamed because I'm naked. Who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from that tree? The woman that you gave me. <laughs> and all the men said, oh, no, don't even respond, man. The, the woman, she gave it to me and I ate. And the woman said, the serpent. He beguiled me and the serpent looked and he didn't have a leg to stand on. And he, there was nothing. We are so good at the blame shift. We can see it in our children. The lamp gets broken. Who broke the lamp? He did it. He did it. He did it. The dog's sitting there. He did it. <laughs> Dog can't protect himself, you know. We are so good at shifting blame. And people every day blame God. In fact, wouldn't you, if you think about it for a second, wouldn't you say that more people than you could probably imagine are mad at God or blame God or curse God. How many times a day do people take the name of Jesus in vain? Scary. And James says, look, when you're going through a temptation, don't say, don't you say, God's tempting me. God doesn't tempt anyone. In fact, just the opposite. God, 1 Corinthians 10, 13, provides a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Well, then what's the deal with temptation? Last few verses. Each one, verse 14, James 1, is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by what? His own lust. Now, the word for lust here is a word that could mean good or bad. Most of the time, I think, every time I can think of in the New Testament, it's a longing for what is forbidden. Each one of us, when we're tempted, each one, when he is tempted, is carried away and enticed by his own lust. The problem is not without. The problem is not God. The problem is the one you look at in the mirror every day. Now, James is going to tell us later that the devil also tempts people. 
So he's not ignoring that, but right now he's focusing on us. And he's saying, look, a lot of the problem is us. This is hunting and fishing terminology, and hence we have the, the shot up here. Because fishermen, what they do to lure a fish is they use something that's attractive to them to entice them to chomp on the lure. That's why it's called a lure, to lure them. And so you, they might put a worm on the end of a hook or they might put a colorful thing that looks like something that the fish can eat and the fish will leave its lair or leave its place of safety. And it, it just becomes enraptured with that morsel. And so it starts swimming after it. This is what happens to us with temptation. It's not like we become unbelievers when we're tempted, but we lose our focus. We forget about God and our lusts overwhelm us. And let's face it, let's be real this morning. The first bite of a temptation, you, you're tempted. And look, temptation by definition is tempting. If it wasn't, you wouldn't care about it. But imagine you're that fish and you see something tempting and you, you're chasing it, right? And there you are. You get, you're just fish-eyed, right? <laughs> right? And you, you, you bite it. And at first, it's, got, it's a tasty morsel. That's how sin is. Sin's fun for a season. But what you don't realize is that you're on a hook. You've been hooked. Temptation is not going to be something you don't care about because you wouldn't be tempted by it. It's going to be something that looks good to you. Something that if you took a bite, it would be a tasty morsel. And often it is. Often the first bite tastes good until you realize you got a hook in your mouth. And what do you do then? What, what's the, what if you're that fish on the end of the hook? What if you would admit this morning, man, I, I've been hooked. You know, that's the terminology we use for people who are addicted to something. They're hooked on drugs, hooked on pornography, hooked on this or that. What do you do now? Can I say to you, it's still not too late. How about you become the one that got away? How about you fight even if you have given into something and a hook has to be taken out of your mouth, how about you become that fish that got away? How about you say, you know what? I'm not going back there. I'm, I'm going to ground myself in the truth. I'm going to be the one that got away. The way an Eskimo kills a wolf is grisly yet instructive about temptation and sin. First, the Eskimo coats his knife with, an animal blood, with animal blood. He allows the whole thing to freeze. Then he adds another layer of blood and another until the blade is completely concealed by frozen blood. Next, the hunter fixes his knife in the ground with the blade up. When a wolf follows his sensitive nose to the source of the scent and discovers the bait, he licks it, tasting the, the fresh frozen blood. He begins to lick faster and more vigorously, lapping the blade until the keen edge is bare. Feverishly now, harder and harder, the wolf licks the blade in the Arctic night. So great becomes the craving for blood, the wolf does not notice that the razor-sharp sting of the naked blade on his own tongue, he doesn't notice it, nor does he recognize uh, the instant at which his insatiable thirst is being satisfied by his own warm blood. His carnivorous appetite just craves more until the dawn finds him dead in the snow. Hunting and fishing terminology. The bear sees the meat hanging there. He's got to have it. So he goes to get it and he steps in the trap. 
This is the imagery James uses. He says, look, if you want to understand this and you want to overcome it, it's what draws you away is your own lust. And you get hooked. And so the final verse is 15. It says, and then when lust has conceived, you can think of, it's kind of the birthing process here that uses the image. When lust is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, what does it do? It brings forth death. Here's the progression of temptation. The lure is put there. There's a conception of the act. Then the bite is taken. And then if you are the fish dangling on the end of that uh, hook and the fisherman brings you into the boat, you have become dinner. Now, it didn't start that way. No, nobody who ends up hooked and being dinner for the devil started off by thinking, you know, today I think I'll take the bait and ruin my life. No, but you need to be aware that this is the way it works so that when the lure comes your way, you can say, aha, God, give me wisdom. Lord, help me to take the way of escape. I, I understand what this is. And look, my, if you're going to be honest, you could even say that my flesh is totally, you got to bring God into the temptation. You have to say, Lord, my flesh wants this, but I know it's not good for me. It's not what you want. I know what's going to happen if I chomp on this. So I'm not going to swim after it. I'm not going there. I know what the end will be. It would taste good for a moment, but there's a hook in it. How many of you have gotten hooked enough times to say, I don't want to do that anymore? It's a pretty painful process to try to take that out and survive it. That's what James is saying. He's saying, look, take the way of escape. Grow up in your faith and don't let... Uh, the things in your life like temptation and lust grow up. Cut them off. Don't give them a place. Know your sinful passions. Watch over your heart. Don't swim in dangerous waters, in toxic ponds. Protect your mind with the word of God. Don't take for granted that one day without Bible reading, you're good. You need the word of God to keep you strong. Ask for perseverance and wisdom. Ask the Father to help you when you feel weak. Bring him into it. Think about where the, these lures have led you in the past and don't go there again. And say, Lord, what do you want to teach me instead? How do you want to make me stronger so I can be set free from the hook of sin and be busy about your business? That's what James is saying. Hey, listening family, if you're new to Walk in Truth, my name is Michael Lance. I'm the senior pastor of Living Truth Christian Fellowship in the city of Corona in Southern California. Hey, recently I've written a book called Suit Up, Putting on the Full Armor of God. It shows you how to put on what God has provided so that you can stand strong in the spiritual battle and stand strong against temptation with the resources that God provides. This book is available at the store at walkintruth.com. Go to walkintruth.com, click on the store, click on the book. I'll get you a signed copy and your donation will help support Walk in Truth and help us reach out to more people. Again, the book is Suit Up, Putting on the Full Armor of God, available at walkintruth.com. That's walkintruth.com. Thanks for listening to Walk in Truth. Pastor Michael would love to hear from you. 
You can write him when you visit walkintruth.com.